Well, we're going to continue on our time in worship with prayer. As I'm sure you know and are aware, this week a document was illegally released uh, which revealed a Supreme Court decision draft of a case called Dobbs versus Jackson's Women Health Organization. The case is the most important Supreme Court decision basically in United States history at least in the last 50 years, and will decide the future of abortion in our country. So to sum up what the leaked decision revealed is the Supreme Court is poised, they're on the cusp of ending the famous Supreme Court decision called Roe versus Wade, which legalized abortion nationwide in 1973. Now I'm a firm believer why I'm bringing this up, this is the reason this morning and why I want us to pray about this. This is not a political issue. This is a, a moral um, issue, a spiritual issue, which deals with the sanctity of human life, which God's word tells us is sacred from conception all the way until death. So I think it's fitting that we pause this morning and pray that God will intervene in this decision and Roe versus Wade will be overturned, and that eventually abortion will be illegal in all 50 states. So let's bow our heads and, and pray together. And I have a few prompts um, for you to consider praying this morning. First, that the justices would, in their final official decision in this case, overturn Roe versus Wade and would return the issue to the states to decide. That God would energize the pro-life movement in all 50 states and would bless their efforts. That more children and lives, children's lives would be saved and kept safe in the womb. And that one day, the unborn would be protected by law in all 50 states. That God would help the church to speak up for what is right and good and not to remain silent, especially to tell the good news of Jesus Christ to a culture who desperately needs to hear. That God would use Christians nationwide to love women in a crisis pregnancy and to step up to adopt children or support those families who do adopt. Father, we pray all of these things in the name of Christ, that, that your name would be honored in our nation again. Lord, we, we pray for your intervention, Lord, we pray that you would give us as a nation the, the conviction to protect human life, 
Lord, we pray that you would give us as a church the conviction not to remain silent, but to be bold, to speak out about what is right, but then also to be bold to proclaim the good news of, of Jesus Christ and his redeeming love. Lord, we, we pray that this morning you would teach us your redeeming love through your holy word. Lord, we, we, we pray that you would show us your steadfast love. Lord, we trust in you. We pray that you would show us the way that each one of us ought to go. Lord, we appeal to you. Lord, we pray that you would bind the enemy, that you would protect us from the enemy. We come to you for protection. Lord, teach us to do your holy will, for you are our God. And then let your good spirit lead us on level ground. And it's in the name of Jesus I pray. Amen. A few years ago, I happened onto a, a news article about a clothing company called Nordstrom that had an, a new type of jeans, jeans like that we wear, coming out in their clothing line. And I, I want to show you a, a picture of them. They're actually clean jeans. They're just made to look this way. They're made to look muddy and, and dirty, like you've been in the shop working or, or out in the field plowing, I guess. And this is how the retailer describes these jeans and, and how they're trying to market these jeans. Rugged Americana workwear that's seen some hardworking action with a crackled, caked-on, muddy coating that shows you're not afraid to get dirty. And how much do these muddy-looking jeans and jean jacket cost? $425 each. And that was a few years ago. So I'm sure if they're still putting these out, they cost even more now because of inflation um, that's been going on. So I think we can all agree... At least I hope we can all agree, this is pretty ridiculous, isn't it? And, and forgive me if you have these in your closet. <laughs> but I think there's a lot cheaper methods at getting some muddy jeans, right, than paying $425 for a pair of those. But why would people buy these? Why are they looking for something that embodied ruggedness. Could it be that, that people are looking for something authentic and all they can find in the world are fakes? And going beyond clothes, could it be that people are looking for a real kind of love in their relationships because all they've ever experienced is, is brokenness, is superficiality, and that's all they can find in this world. Let me introduce you to the kind of love that our, our world is looking for but can't seem to find in anything in this world, and that is God's love. One of the most important words in all of the Bible, and probably the most important word in the Old Testament, is a Hebrew word, hesed, hesed. 
It's a difficult one to translate into English. Oftentimes, as you read in the Old Testament, you'll see God's love as described as loving kindness, as steadfast love, faithful love. And whenever you see those terms, that's that Hebrew word that's being translated there, hesed, hesed love. It's, it's God's one-way love. It's the Old Testament version of of grace. It's God loving his people when they least deserve it. It's a love that it's not dependent on the object of love. It's a love that, that pours out from the giver of love. It's a love that if you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you experience day in and day out. It's not dependent on how we act. It's dependent on God who sustains the love relationship based on his unchanging character. And as we all know, God is love. All that he does, his holy character is loving. It's perfect. It's steadfast. God is love. And we all struggle to believe this. We all struggle to believe, how could God love me? How could God love me in light of all that I've done wrong when I've been pretty unlovable and altogether sinful? And another challenge is, how can I love? How can I love other people, especially those closest to me in a world of of broken relationships and discouragement and loss and failure, where everybody else is just as much of a sinner as me, and love seems so conditional in this world. So how do we love? How can God love us? And then how can we love? And the answer that we're given repeatedly in the Bible is through Hesed, through the Lord's steadfast love. wanted to invite you to turn in your Bible or, or Bible app with me and find the book of Ruth in the Old Testament. It's toward the beginning of the Old Testament, after the book of Judges. This little book. It's one of the most beautiful stories ever written, a real life story. It's it's an account of a family. It's about two women, one of them a mom from the beginning. So what we're looking at today is about a mom and then her daughter-in-law. She actually becomes a mom. Their names are Naomi and the book's namesake, Ruth. And at the heart of this little testimony is God's love. It's Hesed love. And what this real life story captures in human relationships is Hesed love so that we'll know how to love and then what God's love looks like in real time. And that's what we're going to examine today. We're going to sum up chapter 1 together. We aren't going to read the whole chapter. We're going to start out reading verses 
1 to 5. So I want to invite you to join me there. During the time of the judges, there was a famine in the land. A man left Bethlehem in Judah with his wife and two sons to stay in the territory of Moab for a while. The man's name was Elimelech, and his wife's name was Naomi. The names of his two sons were Malon and Chilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah. They entered the fields of Moab and settled there. Naomi's husband, Elimelech, died, and she was left with her two sons. Her sons took Moabite women as their wives. One was named Orpah, and the second was named Ruth. After they lived in Moab about ten years, both Malon and Chilion also died. And Naomi was left without her two children and without her husband. This is God's holy word. The opening backdrop of this story is a really bad decision and a lot of pain. So it opens, and this family is living in Bethlehem in Israel, and there was a famine in the land. And we're also shown that this is during the time of the judges, when the judges ruled. And this was a really backward time in Israel's history where there was just this cycle of disobedience where they would fall away from the Lord and then they would turn back and God would send them a rescuer called a judge to come and deliver them from their enemies and they would come back to the Lord and then go back into their idol worship. And this would happen repeatedly in this cycle. So this famine that happens in, in Bethlehem that we're told about here at the beginning of the book of Ruth was very likely caused by God's disciplining hand because of the people's disobedience. But we're told about this one particular family, Elimelech and Naomi. And Elimelech made the decision to leave Israel, to take his family to the land of, of Moab. Now, Moab was an even more backward Gentile nation outside of Israel. And he went there for convenience sake because there was food there in Moab. So rather than continuing to trust in the Lord to provide, despite what his experience was showing, Elimelech decided to leave Israel to try to take matters into his own hands and take his family into Moab. And the family couldn't, couldn't find anything to eat, so they made this decision, but then things went from bad to worse once they got there. First, Elimelech's sons marry foreign and, and pagan wives when clearly by God's law, they should not have been doing that. So they, they partly at least adopted the practices of Moab, the land where they were living. And then during this 10-year span, when this family was in Moab, the, the husbands all died. So Elimelech died, um, and then the two sons 
both died, leaving Naomi alone with her Moabite daughters-in-law. Their names were Ruth and Orpah. The meaning of some of these Hebrew words in this chapter really describe the irony and the tragedy of what is going on to this family. Elimelech's name means in Hebrew, my God is king. And then Bethlehem means house of bread. So there was a famine in the house of bread in Bethlehem. And then Elimelech, whose name means my God is king, decided to move his family to the land of Moab where decidedly the people did not worship God as king there. And then starting in verse 6, Naomi, after grieving her husband, makes a decision to start traveling back home to Israel. She had heard that the famine had lifted and there once again was food there. So put yourself in her shoes. What else could she do at this point? There was no other place to go except for Bethlehem. And you can't emphasize enough how vulnerable Naomi and Orpah and Ruth were in this situation. This was a culture where women did not have the opportunity to provide for themselves. They had to depend completely on a husband to do that. It was viewed as their greatest contribution as a woman to the community to, to raise and produce sons. So here you have all three women, they've lost their husbands, they, they've lost their livelihood, and Naomi had, had lost her people. She was in this foreign land. They didn't have anything. Naomi, in Hebrew, her name means pleasant. But then when she gets back into Israel, she starts calling herself Mara, which means bitter, because she felt like God was mad at her. She had given up hope. She didn't feel like she had anything left. She didn't feel like she had a future. But before leaving, she did do something really sacrificial and noble. Even though she was angry and bitter, she told her daughters-in-law to stay put. Don't go back to Israel with me. Because how will you find husbands? She wanted to release them from coming with her. She wanted them to have a future. And obviously, Naomi was in very bad shape right here. This was completely sacrificial on her part. She must have been a, a tremendous woman to be willing to do this and basically, essentially, to go it completely alone back home to Bethlehem. And one of her daughters-in-law did take her up on the offer. Orpah did turn back and stay in, in Moab. But Ruth, in, in an incredible display of Hesed 
love, of sacrificial love, stayed with Ruth. And the text says she clung to her mother-in-law, Naomi, rather. Ruth clung to Naomi, her mother-in-law. Let's read about that, starting in verse 15. Verses 15 through 18 of chapter 1 of Ruth. Naomi said, Look, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Follow your sister-in-law. And that was Naomi saying to Ruth, You should just stay here with Orpah. It's better for you. But this is how Ruth replies. But Ruth replied, don't plead with me to abandon you or to return and not follow you. Forever you go, I will go. And for wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord punish me and do so severely. If anything but death separates you and me. And when Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped talking to her. There is not a better description of sacrificial hesed love between people in all of the Bible. And most of the time, that statement is read in weddings. Maybe you've heard it before. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will say, we usually read that at weddings, but this is a daughter-in-law proclaiming her commitment and love to her mother-in-law. Ruth would not abandon Naomi when she needed her the most. Wherever Naomi was going, Ruth was doggedly determined to stay with her. And she was leaving by behind, keep in mind, family, and friends, taking a chance on her livelihood. She was giving everything up to sacrifice for Naomi. And just as Jesus said, there's no greater love than to lay one's life down for one's friends. And that is exactly what Ruth did here for Naomi. And more importantly, Ruth was leaving behind her Moabite gods. And she was really she was willing to follow and to worship and obey the God of Israel, Yahweh. She wasn't just loving another person here. She was loving God with all of her heart. She was basically undergoing a spiritual conversion here. This is an example of, of what Jesus calls us all to do as his disciples. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow, follow me. We have to be willing to leave everything behind to follow Christ, to make him our Lord and Savior in, our all, in all. Jesus, God doesn't want to play second chair to anything in our life. He has to be our everything. So to close, I have a few things that I want you to consider this morning. 
for application to put in place in your life and to see how this needs to change the way that you live daily. Number one is this. Ask yourself the question, do you know how great God's love is towards you? Psalm 117.2 says, for his loving kindness, hesed, there's that word there again, is great towards us and the truth of the Lord is everlasting. Praise the Lord. The word hesed describes God's loyal love. And there's no human love that is ever going to be able to fill you up like God's everlasting love for you. If Ruth was only human and she was willing to, figuratively speaking, die for Naomi, to lay her life down for Naomi, just meditate on the truth that God's son literally died for you on a cross and rose again, taking your place where you should have been, carrying your sin and disobedience, purchasing your redemption by dying and rising again. Do you know him? Do you believe and trust in God's love like that? Have you said to Jesus, I will follow you wherever you lead me to go? If you haven't made that commitment, that decision, you can make it right now, today. Number two, ask yourself this question. Can this type of love be seen in you? The second greatest commandment after loving God with all of our heart, soul, mind, strength is to love our neighbor as ourself. Can God's hesed love be seen at work in you toward other people. If God is that sacrificial and, and patient and loving with you, are you learning to be that sacrificial and loving and patient with others? And not going to happen overnight. This is a process. But are you little bit by little bit learning to love? Learning to love others well? Can this type of love be seen in your relationships, in other words, starting with your, your spouse, your children, your family, then expanding out to your church family, your friends, your colleagues? Can they see the difference that God's love has made in your life by the way that you love them? And then lastly, I want you to know that God remembers and will reward your faithfulness. I call this sermon, Ruth, the hidden redeemer. Because most of the time when we open this book of the Bible, we focus on a later character, Boaz. God would later provide an Israelite man named Boaz as what was called at this time the kinsman redeemer. And the kinsman redeemer's job would be to come in and marry a relative's wife, taking care of her on behalf of that deceased relative. Boaz would come and he would marry Ruth and he would help Naomi. Just like Ruth, 
Boaz is a picture of Christ and what Christ did for us. But don't forget about Ruth here. Ruth's love for Naomi redeemed her, basically saved her life. It gave her what she needed most. God used Ruth to give Naomi hope when she was in her darkest hour. Now, sticking with Naomi must have felt like death to Ruth. Ruth was already going through a hard time herself, losing her husband, losing her home. The only person that Naomi had to support her was Ruth. And what I want to encourage you with this in the end this morning, you may feel hidden too. Ruth, even though this book of the Bible bears her name, She's somewhat of a hidden character in all of this drama, isn't she? You may feel hidden too. Right now, maybe not a lot of people see or, or recognize your faithfulness, your love and, and support that you're trying to give, your husband, your, your wife, your Children, your, your family members, your, your friends, your, your church members, your, your neighbors, your co-workers. Maybe people see it, but they don't appreciate you. Maybe they easily overlook you. Just like Ruth, it may be hard for you to love too, to stay faithful to do what God has, has called you to do. But know this, God sees you. He hasn't forgotten about you. God will reward your faithfulness. Ruth starts the book as a childless widow. And as the curtain closes on her real life story, Ruth is married to a wonderful man in Boaz. And they've had a baby. It closes as she becomes a mother. They, they named the boy Obed, the grandfather of King David, the ancestor of Jesus, our Savior. Ruth, this pagan Moabite woman who was willing to leave it all for love's sake, was used by God, and he's included in the genealogy of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. She was faithful, and God used her in a powerful way. And by our world's judgment, it may look really small. And maybe it, it feels like that for you too. Just keep being obedient. Keep doing what you're doing. Keep being faithful. Keep planting those seeds and trusting that God will grow them, that they will one day sprout and blossom and, and bear fruit. And one day, God will reward you for your faithfulness. God used Ruth, an ordinary person. God can use you. God can use me. God can use ordinary people, anybody, who wants to be faithful. That's what we see continually throughout 
the word of God. God wants to, to prove himself strong for anybody whose heart beats for him. Is that you? Do you desire to be used of God? You don't need to wait any longer. All you have to do first is to say yes to Christ. Jesus, will you save me? Today I want to follow you. And then as you follow Christ, all you have to do is keep your eyes focused on him. And he's going to help you. He's going to change you. He's going to use you as you trust in him and be faithful. Let's go to him in prayer. Father, thank you for your Hesed love. Thank you for this great account and testimony of your Hesed love that we've seen in the book of, of Ruth. But more than anything, thank you for the Hesed love that was dis, dis, demonstrated on the cross that while we were still sinners and rebels and enemies of yours, in love, you sent your one and only son to die for us, to take our place. Lord, I pray for someone who may be here today who has yet to cry out on the name of the Lord to be saved, and I pray that they would do that today. And I pray for others who do know you, but maybe they feel forgotten, maybe they feel hidden, maybe they feel a little discouraged or not just a little discouraged, really discouraged. Lord, I, I pray that today you would fill them with hope and joy and that you remember them. You see their obedience and you are going to bless them in their obedience and reward them. Lord, I pray that you will do that today. It's in Jesus' name that I pray, amen. And with us.